Your children beware the menace within. It is not enough to be aware of your own dark side and that of your family. You must learn to navigate each. Do not let ancient shadows within your heart overcome you. Do not let others cast the ancient shadows within their hearts upon your face lightly. All manner of things that haunt exist within you. Demons and phantoms, fiends, specters and wraiths, all your own ghosts and those of your family wait to toy with you. All because the best of you does not exist without these. Know, children, when to venture forth from these trappings. Do not let them ensnare you, even in your own home. To overstay and find yourself overcome should be an act of desperation. The day the Midnight Princess was born, the rest of the kingdom began to die. This was true in one way or another for everyone, with the singular exception of the middle of the Midnight Princess's older siblings, the Midday Princess. This was because the Midday Princess witnessed the birth of her younger sister. On the evening birthing pains overcame the queen, the castle's nannies and fools attempted to entertain the Midday Princess as well as her older sister, the Princess of the Dawn, and her younger sister, the Princess of the Dusk. They kept them in rooms distant from their mother, down winding corridors far from where she was. The servants' attempts to entertain had a patronizing feel that was difficult for the midday princess to abide by. So she claimed that she was tired and ready for bed very soon after the winter sun cast the day's pale last sliver of light across the horizon in meek yellow and ice blue beneath the depth of night. She put on a convincing act of being overcome by exhaustion and was left alone. She listened for unguarded quiet, which let her know she could sneak away. It was not hard to find her mother. First, she went all the places she had been led away from. Then she followed the cries of pain. These were so severe that the princess's impulse was to run, as if she could save her mother from that which was emerging from her. She tiptoed instead with lifeless silence, helped by the screams and the natural focus of every living soul on them. She stayed low and became stone as she tucked into the walls. The door to the birthing room was lazily guarded, and from her squat position, she slipped past the legs of men blind to the girl so far from their line of sight. Despite familiar parts of the queen, legs askew and unpleasantly spread, arms grasping the bedding but helpless, she had shapeshifted into something pulsing and monstrous. Her screaming face writhed purple above the bulbous bloody flesh that pulsed in and out of the place between her legs in a bid for life. Though the midday princess wished she had stayed in bed, the child could not look away, and she wrapped herself in the curtains that provided her hiding place, though they offered little comfort. Her stomach lurched as the baby emerged, 
wet and red with a tube from her belly, strange out-of-control limbs, and an errant lost eye sat in the middle of the babe's new forehead in addition to the two in the commonplace. The midday princess touched her own forehead and navel, unsure of what resolved in time. The queen twisted and reached for her child. The midwives shifted and said nothing with the words they uttered, even as the queen made demands regarding the sense of wrongness in the room. The feeling of death lay in the air, and she asked why the baby wasn't crying. The midwives acquiesced, presenting the three-eyed offspring, and the queen screamed and buried her head in the pillows, even as her body lurched to rid itself of the afterbirth. The queen was tended to, her hand held and forehead wiped. The unusual child was placed in a bassinet and the king was summoned. In his presence, the midwives disappeared from the room, dispersing to consider new vocations and to allow the monarchs to discuss the disappearing of the child unfit for royal bearing. The midday princess had full view of the king's face as he bent over the bassinet. She watched as he wept, overcome by the beauty he found in his new daughter's face. He could not take his eyes from her even as he began to shake. He convulsed with hideous violence, and it was astounding that he could remain standing as his flesh pulled against itself until the middle of him was a mess of sinew and viscera, resting apart in a six-foot squelch that the midday princess could not close her eyes or ears against until two men stood where there had been one. They embraced and called each other brother. The queen fainted, overwhelmed by the excess of impossibility. I had given up, one brother said. It's so strange to be alone in my body, in my mind. Brother, you have been blinded. The blind brother was eerily placid. I see all that I need to, he said, and picked up the midnight princess, keeping his face pointed towards her. There were noises in the corridors of servants approaching. We cannot both be seen here, the seeing brother said. To confess would require revealing the dark magic our mother was capable of, and that she had no qualms cursing her own sons, calling into question our own morals, having been raised by her. The blind brother did not listen. The seeing man continued, You will not leave, and even if you could, beyond being blind, you are enamored to the point of inaction. Your shared fate would be to become a supper for the wolves. There is no way to explain to the children their father's newfound doubleness. Go, the blind brother said, his voice tinged with that of the child in his arms. Find the fate of your giantess. He walked to the wall and pushed the brick in, opening up a secret corridor. This will take you all the way to the western woods. The lair of the giants is in the glass mountains. It was mysterious how this passageway was brought forth to the consciousness of the blind king, for though it was much like many others in the castle, it had been forgotten for generations. But his brother did not have time to question the blind king's mysterious acquisition of new information, and the banished king disappeared into the dust cloud the antique corridor had coughed into the room. As his brother disappeared, the blind king's gaze wavered in the direction of where the midday princess hid even as she considered following the banished king. 
But the Blind King shook his head and opened a known trapdoor. He helped her lower down onto the sturdy ladder rungs built into the stone wall and told her to go. But she lingered, her head level with the top step. She eavesdropped on her mother waking and suggesting that they abandon the infant on the rocks to let the wolves or elements tend. The Blind King's placidity fragmented at the very suggestion and he held the new babe closer to his chest, looking away from her to say, we will do no such thing. Birth is always trying and you have done well, but it has left you far from your right mind. The calm re-entered his voice as he turned his face to the Midnight Princesses once more. She possesses beauty unlike anything else on earth, and we will treat her accordingly. You must soften to her, my love, for she is hungry. The queen assented to take the babe to her breast. Although she could not force a smile for her new child, to see her mother caring for the babe was a comfort to the midday princess. After all, what defect might her nurturers have had to find with her to have considered the same brutal fate that had been the primary discussion in her sister's short life. The midday princess took her leave, descending the ladder to crawl through rodent droppings and spider webs. She emerged in her own room. She burrowed under her covers, far from slumber, but not dream, as she relived the events of the night continuously. Out her room's eastern window, the dawn broke, a splinter that settled behind her eyes as it multiplied across the snow on the ground, and she tried to convince herself that she had not left her bed that night. It was a day of unusually attentive nannies and unavailable parents that melded into the next and the next. It was most difficult to convince herself that she had imagined or dreamt the whole thing at night but also when the nannies referenced the rocks or composure in a sly, sideways manner that did not easily allow for follow-up as she attempted to focus on her lessons and play with her sisters as normal. Three days after the night of the Midnight Princess's birth, the sisters were summoned to meet her, shattering the Midday Princess's hopes that she had experienced a lapse of sanity to last only the dead of a single night. Their mother was hollowed out and sleepless, utterly preoccupied by ephemeral conceptualizations, inaccessible to anyone, for she was unwilling to share. Their father's face remained locked on the bizarre three-eyed visage of their strange sibling who he held despite that it would normally be their mother who would tend a newborn. Only the babe looked at the older princesses. She smiled at them, possessor of an eerie calm, and her lower two eyes blinked out of sync with the third. The Dawn Princess, as the oldest sibling, was able to stifle her cries, but the Dusk Princess clutched the Midday Princess's arms and wept into her sister's sleeve. This did little to draw the attention of the king and queen, but possibly hastened the princesses being escorted to their departure. As their nannies guided them with arms around shoulders and waist, for once the excessive handling was welcome. 
They let themselves be taken to the hearth, where words escaped even the midday princess in the process of immersing herself in the same warm denial she had been working on for the past three days. For although two of the three impossible things were plain as day, this did not mean her father split in half. She asked her sisters if it was possible that the Midnight Princess's third eye was an anomaly that might be outgrown. The Dawn Princess wrapped her arms around her sister in a loose and lasting embrace that the Dusk Princess joined, and they watched the fire stunned. They spent the days together focused on the calming repetition of embroidery and the beauty of the gardens covered in frost, as well as building up an armor of denial. At night, though, as the midday princess tried to fall asleep, behind her eyes she saw the red of her mother expanding and expelling her guts from between her legs in a wet and bulbous, angry way. She saw the pink of her father's flesh ripping and stretching and splitting in two all over again, and she didn't know which was worse. She saw her father blinded, and she saw her sister's terrible face. She was haunted by these repeating visions. It was in the spring that she found herself in the garden with the Dawn Princess, each having taken early leave of their haunted beds. They sat amidst the unfurling leaves of emerging roses in the day's first light. Although the Midday Princess was born right in between her two sisters, she had always felt closer to the Dawn Princess. It also made sense that, as the older sister, the Dawn Princess might have some insight that their younger sister wouldn't. She tried to share her troubles. I'm bothered, the Midday Princess started. Before she could finish, the Dawn Princess interrupted. It's impossible not to be, but you don't need to worry. Everything will be okay soon. The kingdom will not accept the three-eyed abomination. Our parents will be forced to leave her out on the rocks for the wolves. Once he has other things to look at, father will regain his sight. And once the young princess is no longer sucking our mother dry, we will have her again, and in time all will be right. You'll see. Do not worry. A cold wind swept through, bringing with it an unseasonable freezing rain, forcing the girls inside. It was the worst time for such weather, which killed every fruit-producing blossom on every tree. Despite the Dawn Princess's predictions, less and less was the prospect of leaving the Midnight Princess on the rocks mentioned. Not only because the king forbade it, but also because his guardianship made it impossible. Everyone in the castle behaved as though everything was normal, including the midday princess, even as at night her terrible visions persisted. It was midsummer, the time of the midday princess's own birth, that she found herself in her mother's presence. The queen was nursing. It was in a determined way that she looked away from her own body, even as the babe's three eyes gazed up at her from her breast. The king stood over her shoulder, his unseeing eyes ever pointed at his youngest. It was with a palatable relief that she handed the Midnight Princess back into his eager arms, freeing them to take their leave. Alone with her mother at last, the Midday Princess asked the queen, What do you remember of the night of the Midnight Princess's birth? It was not like your birth, 
You were so bright and beautiful, even from the start. When she was born, I fainted. Sometimes I feel like I still haven't woken up. Do you ever feel like that? Concerned ladies-in-waiting appeared in the doorway and escorted the princess from the room, suggesting a swim in defense of the day's bright heat. Even as time dragged, it managed to pass. The leaves turned as the autumn settled. Dread sat in the stomach of the midday princess as she faced the prospect of greater night and more time with the terrible visions behind her eyes. The dusk princess appeared at her side to lament an evening's gray sunset, even though it made the leaves all the more vivid. I am bothered, the midday princess said. Before she could finish, the dusk princess interrupted. I know. Remember last year at this time? Mother's pregnancy was a happy thing, a beacon of hope. Even better, remember when it was just the five of us? Remember walking the gardens all together? I didn't see either of them out here all summer. Memory is all I have to treasure anymore, but I do cherish them, and our true sister says things will go back to this. Do not worry. A cold wind loosed many leaves from the branches in a terrible flurry, an ushering in of winter. The princesses had to put their arms up in front of their faces just to get inside. The storm that raged that night made every corner of the kingdom howl. Time passed. Unable to sleep in the longest of nights, it was during the darkest hours when the midday princess approached her father. He sat holding the midnight princess, unmoving by the fire. Although she would have preferred to speak to him alone, this was unlikely as he was always holding the babe. She asked the king, what do you remember of the midnight princess's birth? Truly does it matter? A single moment in time is an easy thing to become attached to, but it does no more to serve us than any other attachment. The cold of the world sat on her skin as she lay in her bed shivering. The cold of the changes in her father reached her mind and the winter lasted for a long time. Spring was a welcome sight that year, and the three princesses attempted to include the adults in their lives to join in reveling in the warmer weather. Their father agreed that the warmth on his skin was pleasant, before warning them that the physical world was an illusion. Their mother turned to them with what passed for a smile for her those days, and said the garden was very nice before going back inside. It was sunrise in the orchard when the midday princess came across the dawn princess amidst the apple trees. The flowers smelled sweet and shined with dew. I am concerned, the midday princess started. The dawn princess interrupted her. It is impossible not to be, but do not worry. Although our terrible sister remains, it will not be long before she is weaned. Once our mother is no longer subject to being stared up at by those three terrible eyes, she will cheer up and return to normal. We will have our mother back, and she will draw our father out with her feminine wiles, and everything will be good again. Still not having told anyone of the events she saw on the night of her sister's birth, the midday princess began to speak again, but the wind took away her words and brought in a storm. There was a frost, 
And for the second year in a row, it withered the blossoms from the trees, killing the fruit they would have rendered. The Dawn Princess was correct that the Midnight Princess was weaned soon after. Their mother's melancholy, however, did not abate. The Midday Princess found herself alone with the Queen around midsummer. She asked her mother, Have you ever seen anyone split in half? What an odd question, the Queen said. Is that what it feels like to you? That we're all splitting in half? I suppose we are. You must hate me. I don't suppose you'll ever forgive me. How will I look when you think of this later, sitting with your own children? The queen had tears in her eyes that would not quite fall. She always had them anymore. Although they had fewer nannies and ladies-in-waiting than the year before, one of them came along and sent the midday princess into the bright of the summer for a swim. Autumn chills came early that year. The first snow occurred before the equinox, disrupting the last harvest, only to get very warm the next day. The midday princess found the dusk princess amidst the melt. I'm concerned, the midday princess said. The dusk princess said, I know, how could you not be? Do not worry, though. Winter has a way of bringing people together. Remember how it sounds when mother sings? Do you remember how she used to take us outside and build things out of snow with us? Or have snowball fights? And we would drink something warm when we came back inside and she would snuggle with us while father told us stories too vivid to fall asleep to? Do not worry, we will do these things again. The three older princess did these things alone. And when they came in from the cold, there was nothing warm waiting for them inside. It was on the longest night of the year that the midday princess approached her father. The midnight princess sat in his lap, her posture straight and her face calm. The midday princess asked her father, Did you split in half? The midnight princess stared at her sister as the king answered, Truly, are there not two halves to all of us? There is nothing more natural than parts of ourselves coming together only to fall once more asunder. Free yourself even from self. The cold of the world permeated her muscles as she shivered in bed. Her father's cold slowed her heart, and the winter lasted a long time. Though her words kept falling on deaf ears, in the spring when the midday princess found herself in the garden with the dawn princess, she felt compelled to express concern. Do not worry, the dawn princess said, for soon the terrible monster that is our youngest sister will be walking, and she will walk away from our father, perhaps to the edge of a cliff. And even if he does not regain his sight, our mother and other things will be of interest to him again once his prize has wandered. He will regain command of the kingdom that they do not revolt. We will build a new, better life together. Once again, everything will be merry. The midday princess agreed that certainly it would come to pass. The stores were depleted, and the summer's bounty was blighted by insects. Out in the forest, even the animals were scarce. The summer was blindingly bright and witheringly hot. Every day, the midday princess visited the queen, who sat by the window with an embroidery on her lap, never sewing a stitch, looking at nothing, saying not a word. 
In the worst bright of the longest day, when the sun took up the whole room, the midday princess asked, What do you look at when you stare out the window? The queen said, Does it matter what I see? Does it matter what any of us see? Even with his blindness, your father could experience us with his ears, his touch, his taste. What does anything matter anymore? All the nannies and ladies-in-waiting were gone, having moved on to what the midday princess did not know. She sat with her mother, and the greedy need that seeped from the queen's very pores, unmet by the blind king. All the crops withered prior to the second harvest. In the fallow garden, midway through a bland autumn, the midday princess expressed her concerns to the dusk princess. You remember how it used to be, the dusk princess said. We hardly had enough time in the day to show our love for each other before that three-eyed demon came along. A day never went by where our mother didn't hug us and tell us she loved us, practically with every meal back when we ate. Not a day went by when father didn't delight in us and mother. He used to love mother so much, you remember. I want to see the same bright future as our true sister, but it may be that our memories are all we have left. Do you remember when our lives were full? The Midday Princess told her sister the story of the night the Midnight Princess was born. The Dusk Princess said that it sounded like a dream and took her leave. It was the coldest winter yet. The harshness of the relentless frost hardening everything from muscle to stone. The princesses could see their breaths every time they went away from the fire, and they spent much time huddled together beneath furs, flesh to flesh. The midday princess broke away on the longest night of the year to ask her father, How did you go blind? The king responded, Truly, am I the one who is blind? For even without what you call sight, I see so much. The midnight princess gazed up at her sister. She spoke. Do not be forlorn that you are not yet ready for the wisdom we attempt to impart. You are the only one who comes to us with such insightful questions as these at all. The others just avoid us. Father used to tell us stories, the midday princess said. Have you ever heard a story? Stories do not interest me, for they take me out of the moment that I am trying to experience. I always viewed them as transforming the moment, the midday princess said. A transformation away from truth does not interest us. We seek an unpolluted and constant clarity of mind. Truly, you must be blessed to be so interrupted in that pursuit, the midday princess said. Indeed, the king and the midnight princess said in unison. Hopefully that clarity will one day serve you, the midday princess said, and took her leave to shiver beneath a pile of furs. Her belly twisted in hunger. Daily she thanked the gods that the peasants in her kingdom did not kill her family for their negligence and the downfall of the land. The midday princess had nothing more to say to anyone, and she avoided them all, predictable as they were. The Midnight Princess sat with the Blind King, impervious to the material world, while the Dawn Princess looked toward the future, and the Dusk Princess was unbothered by how far the past she was living in receded. 
and the queen remained in her own private nowhere. The longest day brought with it a scorch after a promising spring. It was on this day the midday princess found her mother's body hanged from a noose in the birthing room. The queen's red-lined eyes remained open and continued to look at nothing. Her tongue, nearly bitten off by her clenched jaw, protruded from the foam which lined her mouth. There were claw marks on her neck and breasts, made in her private struggle before her hands settled into fists. Her once splendid wedding dress hung loose over the bones protruding from her body. It had been thrashed about in and soiled. The tip of the train drew circles in the dust below. Stunned, the princess fell to her knees in grief and curled up below her mother in the circle in the dust. The fine lace of the dress skimmed her until it got caught in the places she bent, and her mother's toes stilled above her. She remained motionless for a long time. She cried quietly, starting and stopping without realizing. The sky grew dark and light and dark again. There was no longer anyone looking for her. The openness of the windows did little for the smell. The midday princess held back the vulture, waiting on the windowsill, even as the carrion watched her for signs of lifelessness. But she could not stay there forever. Not wanting to touch her mother's dead body, she slid out from beneath it with great care. On the bed was a golden ball, her mother's most useful cloak, and a dagger she recognized as the one her father usually kept in his chambers, where he slept with the midnight princess. It was the last item that made her certain these had not rested there before. She tucked the dagger into her belt and donned the cloak. She held the golden ball aloft. Her providence lay in the castle's bowels. She depressed the same brick which had freed the banished king from the fate suffered by the rest of the kingdom. Only as she traversed the passageway did she comprehend the extended apprehension she had kept for the isolated windowless corridor as every season passed. She'd let herself be paralyzed by the darkness below, but the golden ball glowed and lit her way, and though there were bats, worms, spiders, and moths, most of all there was the same stone which made up the entire castle. The path was smooth and the stairs well-formed, even if dusty and cobwebby at the corners. The midday princess spent much of the night walking through the tunnels. The gold ball lit the way. When she stepped out, it was into the first light of a cool late summer morning. The grass was wet with much-needed rain. The forest in front of her held the potential for wolves, bears, gnomes, and robbers. Hand on her dagger, there was a simpler solution to these than all she had left behind, and the wild world was hers. Thank you for listening to the Domestic Aggressive Podcast. This has been the Midday Princess's Tale, the third installment of the East of the Sun, West of the Moon Quartet. 
My name is Meredith Lindgren, and I wrote and read the episode. All sound design and music is by Nathan Paul. <laughs>